And we're back, like we never left. Welcome to episode 101 of the Confessions of a Not-So-Dangerous Mind podcast. I'd like to thank you for joining me for the second time on this Monday evening. And if you're checking out episode 101 on the YouTube channel, enjoying the content, haven't done so already, click like, subscribe, comment, turn on those notifications. Or if you're catching up with this episode on the audio platform, such as Spotify or iTunes, same general rule applies, click like, subscribe, turn on those notifications. Since I got a, I've had a good reaction so far to the series I began last week, which I'll go back to every now and again, uh, most underrated film performances, I'm starting a new series right now in episode 101 called The Best Movie You Never Saw. Now, that's not a literal designation, because the truth is many people watching a podcast like this will have seen the movies that I'm going to talk about. But if you have, you probably like it, enjoy it, maybe are even in a kind of following, because this is a kind of movie, this will be the sorts of movies that have a hardcore of rabid fans in many instances. But there are going to be plenty of people, especially um, young millennials and Gen Z, who will not be familiar with the films that I'm going to get into. And today's movie, the first up movie, the best film you've never saw, is Alex Proyas. He did iRobot with Will Smith, just for reference. Alex Proyas, 1998 science fiction masterpiece. I don't use that word lightly. Dark City, which was released to theaters 26 years ago tomorrow. It hit theaters February 27, 1998. And... I saw Dark City on its opening day. The early buzz, early 1998 era internet, it's nothing like today, but there is enough um, movie reviews printed online. Rotten Tomatoes existed back then. And my favorite movie critic of all time, may he rest in peace, the extraordinary Pulitzer Prize winner who's on TV, he wrote for the Chicago Sun-Times for decades, Roger Ebert. I had heard about the movie Dark City. I had seen the trailer, which I thought was really kick-ass, awesome trailer. And I was interested in seeing the movie, but there are plenty of films, especially in the decade of the 90s, which, as I've said, the greatest decade for movies ever. Rounders, 90s, Pulp Fiction, 90s. Okay, just those two here. <laughs> Among the, what's presented in front of you. But... Trailers were better in the 90s. And there were plenty of movies which had a great trailer, and then when you saw the film, <laughs> not so good. Dark City had a phenomenal trailer, though. And I was already a fan. I wasn't that far out of New York University Film School. I graduated the previous year. I was still less than a year and a half from having done coursework. So there was a lot of things fresh on the brain. And when I saw the preview trailer for Dark City, which teases a futuristic science fiction in a strange realm, kind of like Earth, but not really. All of these things are tossed at us during the trailer. But there are these weird-looking characters, ghastly faces, no hair, and they look like Nosferatu in F.W. Murnau's film of the same title. They look like Murnau vampires. These characters are called the Strangers. But just seeing that trailer 
and seeing the set design, which reminded me of German Expressionism. There's something for you to Google. What is German Expressionism? Well, it's a style of film prevalent in Germany in the post-World War I era in which the mise-en-scene, the set design, the costume design, the lighting, everything in front of you, represents the emotional states of the characters. German expressionism. Well, Dark City, the trailer, is throwing all of this shit at people watching the trailer. I think I saw it one of the times I watched Titanic in theaters. I saw the trailer for Dark City like six weeks before it came out. I'm like, oh my God, I got to see this. Holy shit. This looks like German expressionist nonsense I haven't seen since film school. They don't make movies like this not even in Germany, let alone in the United States. So I was just like that. Now there was always a possibility. Something's going to suck. Nowadays, we would get pre-release buzz and chatter, and like what we see now, and this is not a criticism, with Dune 2 getting incredible reviews overseas. On the flip side, Leave the World Behind got trashed by a lot of European critics and came here, and holy shit, this movie's fucking amazing. So I logged onto my old school dial-up internet the morning of February 27, 1998. I got back from Beth Francis Powerhouse Gym. I logged into my AOL account. And I went to the Chicago Sun-Times, knowing that Roger Ebert, who was still healthy back then, years before he got sick, years before I had the opportunity to see him speak uh, in public at a, at a book, uh, it wasn't a book signing, it was sort of a, um, he just basically gave a lecture while he was promoting the book with Morak. Unbelievable speaker, by the way. Another reason I love Ebert, because I, I did get to share the same space with him and see him do his thing in person and just talk movies like a genius he was. But I logged on to uh, the Chicago Sun-Times and the tab was set, uh, for Roger Ebert's homepage. And he always posted reviews of movies that were being released that day. Typically sent them to uh, the internet the night before. But I logged on and Roger Ebert gave a four-star review to Dark City, which is exactly what I was praying for. Honestly, I would have signed up for three stars and, you know, he and Gene, thumbs up. Roger gave a lot of movies four stars. He was a very hopeful movie critic. He was not as rough as a lot of other famous movie critics, such as Pauline Kael or John Simon or David Denby, who was my second favorite critic. Ebert had a more hopeful nature. He wanted to love movies. He wasn't going out of his way and never went out of his way to be vicious, as John Simon was legendary for, and Pauline Kael as well. They loved movies but they were always looking for reasons to bash the filmmakers, bash the actors, complain about someone's looks, or bash the studio head that was responsible for this atrocity. If Ebert hated, hated, hated a movie, that was the title of one of his books. That was the book that he was promoting when I saw him speak. It was called, I Hated, Hated, Hated This Movie. Films that got zero stars or one star, but were generally remembered for having funny reviews. But when Ebert hated a movie, some of his best writing, because usually he had fun with it. When he loved a movie, when he gave a movie four stars, it's always worth checking out 
how he described his experience and why he put the movie on this perch, why it might be one of the best films of the year. Now, when you start talking 10 best lists in February, it's a little ridiculous. But the substance of Roger's review of Dark City was, this is the best science fiction film of its kind since Blade Runner. Now, Roger Ebert was a fan of Blade Runner, which I would rank as the greatest science fiction film. Well, that and The Clockwork Orange, you can flip a coin, one and one end. Roger did not, he was not a Blade Runner disciple as I later became. Because Blade Runner is a movie I saw a number of times before it finally clicked for me. I thought it sucked, quite frankly. Because Blade Runner is a movie that you're expecting to be something other than it is. It sounds exciting. It's an exciting premise. A futuristic, detec a futuristic detective is tracking down renegade robots who look like humans and has to get rid of them. He's got to get those robots. It sounds exciting, and it's not exciting at all. It's a noirish mystery with some thriller elements, some romance elements, but very little in the way of action elements. Dark City is exactly the movie that was teased by the previews. Ebert didn't say that in his review, but he did a little what you would call fan service unwittingly with me. He actually uses the phrase in the rave review, the strangers, the artificial or alien-like creatures, we're not really sure, that inhabit the planet Earth in the world of Dark City. They look like Murnau vampires. He saw exactly what I saw. Me, the New York University Film School graduate, who, watching the trailer, I said, they look like Max Schreck as Count Orlock in Nosferatu, in F.W. Murnau's Nosferatu, 1921. Roger Ebert saw the same thing while seeing the movie, not in the terms of a trailer. He watched the movie and he said, that's what they look like. This has a German expressionist ethos. I haven't seen this in a movie and I don't even know how long. You don't even get that in Blade Runner. The futuristic aspect, there's a little bit. But here's the other thing. The Matrix didn't come out until the following year. I am as big a fan of the Matrix series as anybody. Love the first one. I like the second one as much, if not more. I think Matrix Reloaded is fucking incredible. Not a fan of Revolutions, but I really liked Resurrection. But The Matrix, it's the kind of thing that if you're not a savant like me and you don't say, well, this came out in this year and this, that year, these things calculate for me. The Matrix came out a little over a year after Dark City. Dark City does not copy The Matrix because there is certain set design, production design, and even some costuming between the two movies which you say, well, this is actually pretty similar. The Matrix used, this is again not a criticism, uh, the Wachowskis were able to use some of the sets and some of the design concepts from Dark City. They used them in The Matrix with permission. Again, this is something that happens all the time in Hollywood. There's nothing wrong. So Dark City did not, it's not, well, it's like The Matrix. No, you could say The Matrix has elements of Dark City. Dark City did it first. Roger's review was an absolute, unabashed rave. He loved every scene in the film. He loved the story, the mystery of it, Kiefer Sutherland's character, which is a very mysterious and atypical role for Kiefer, who was a few years away still from playing Jack Bauer on the incredible TV series 24. And Kiefer, it was already a decade since he played the vampire in The Lost Boys, 
and the horrendous kid at Stand By Me, love Peter Sutherland. He's terrific, doing something different. It is not the typical suave or uh, cocksure, forceful persona. He's playing a doctor who sometimes comes across as scared out of his mind, and he probably is. The movie is not about acting. It's not about performance. It's about allowing yourself to be immersed in an entirely new world that filmmaker Alex Proyas has created. And Ebert's review was such a, was such a rave, I couldn't wait to see it. And I actually did something I normally wouldn't do. I went to a morning screening. I went to a 10.20 a.m. screening at the movies at Sunrise Mall, Massapequa. Unfortunately, the theater closed a few months later. And I was riveted. The, this is not the director's cut. This is another movie where Proyas had submitted a cut. The studio said, we need, a, we need a little more explanation. I think that the theatrical version is phenomenal. I've never actually seen the director's cut. Again, just for reference. Fans will argue either one. It's like with Aliens, where um, I happen to prefer James Cameron's director's cut. The theatrical version, which is leaner and tighter, it's still an incredible film. I, without seeing the director's cut of Dark City, I'm going to go on record and say, it can't be any better. It might explain more and be more illuminating, but I don't think it's, oh my God, this is a much better film because Dark City is just about perfect, as Roger Ebert said. Now, again, Roger Ebert, in February of 1998, in that review, indicates, well, it's certainly the best film that I've seen so far. This 1998 was a bit of a controversial year as far as the Oscars, which we you know are coming up soon. It looks like Oppenheimer is going to take the major awards. I was hoping maybe Paul Giamatti for the holdovers. Doesn't look like it's going to happen. I think Oppenheimer is going to take picture, certainly going to win director for Christopher Nolan. And uh, Downey Jr., who is amazing in, in general, and I hope he wins the Oscar. Uh, but the 1998 movies released in 98, so the Oscars took place in 1999. I always have to, uh, to um, delineate that because it's easy to get confused. 1998 saw the release of a lot of really fantastic all-time movies. One of which, Steven Spielberg's Saving Private Ryan, which is a very powerful, harrowing, difficult movie. Painful to sit through, especially the opening sequence of um, the Allied soldiers storming the beach at Normandy, D-Day, basically. And the just disgusting horror that befell mostly 18, 19, 20-year-old boys who got their heads split open before getting more than five feet onto the beach. Saving Private Ryan, I don't think I have it in my Steven Spielberg top five, but it is a really good movie. It is powerful. And the performances from Tom Hanks, Matt Damon, the late Tom Sizemore, um, Ed, uh, Edward Burns, even Vin Diesel, Paul Giamatti in a tiny role. Everyone is great in that Shakespeare in Love ended up winning the major hardware that year, and Spielberg got Best Director. History says that Shakespeare in Love probably shouldn't have won Best Picture. It's, a, I think, a terrific film. It's a lot of fun. All the performances, Gwyneth is terrific, Joseph Fiennes is great, Ben Affleck in a kind of diff different role for him, Jeffrey Rush, everyone's awesome. Roger Ebert did not have either Shakespeare in Love or Saving Private Ryan as his best film of 1998. 
or Terrence Malick's The Thin Red Line, I forgot. That's a movie that many people argue was better than Saving Private Ryan. It's a World War II film, but it's about the war in the Pacific, and it approaches the ridicularity of war from an entirely different angle. Terrence Malick never made films in a conventional way. He did not make that war film, The Thin Red Line, in a conventional way. Ebert held that Dark City, a movie released February 27, of 1998 was the best film going away, like not even close. It hit the masterpiece button. I believe he had it as his best science fiction film ever. He even recorded a commentary track uh, when it was released on DVD by New Line. Roger Ebert did not do commentary tracks. That was the first one that he recorded. He had been reproached when Laserdisc seemed to be gaining traction in the 80s, never really caught on to the extent that he did, not even in the same universe. Uh, but Ebert was such a huge fan of the film, and he even talked in later years. Um, he had done classes where he deconstructed the film in a scholastic setting. I think he did it at, did he do it at Northwestern? He did it somewhere. This movie meant so much to him. It was so great, and he talked about it, unfortunately, until he lost the power of speech. He had mouth and jaw cancer, which took away his ability to speak. But even then, he just wrote about it. It was one of those movies for him that he could not gush about enough. The basic story, the setup of Dark City, it's set on what appears to be Earth at what appears to be present day. But there is a lot of weird shit going on, which makes it almost undefinable as to exactly when this is set. And are we even on Earth? Where are we? Rufus Sewell, who is hasn't had the career that he probably should have. He still pops up in movies. He had a, a pretty juicy role in M. Night Shyamalan's film from, I think it was 2021, called Old. I thought the movie was terrible. And I'm a huge M. Night Shyamalan fan. That was a movie with a great premise. There's huge chunks of it that are just awful. I hate it. I saw it in theaters, too. Hate it. But Rufus Sewell has a pretty juicy role there, and I just think that his character is so absurd, it, it, it spoils the performance. But Rufus Sewell plays the main character, a guy whose name, we think, because nobody really knows anything, kind of like William Goldman, nobody knows anything, but in the world of this movie, he's presented as John Murdoch, and he's a murder suspect. And we meet Jennifer Connelly about three, three to four years before uh, A Beautiful Mind, which of course she made Russell Crowe, huge acclaim, Oscar winner, all that. Jennifer Connelly appears to play a lounge singer who gets involved, or is involved, or maybe she was involved with Rufus Sewell's main character. And William Hurt plays kind of hard-bitten, 1940s-style detective with a kind of private eye feel. And as the story develops, I'm not going to go into any real heavy spoilers, these strange humanoid characters that I referenced, that Roger Ebert referenced as they look like burnout vampires, they have the ability to control time and space. So we think we're on Earth. We may not be on Earth. We may be on some random land that these strangers have constructed to appear to be Earth. Nothing is what it seems. Everything is up for grabs. And when I mentioned the character being John Murdoch, well, maybe he'll wake up another day and he'll be Harrison Ford or Clint Eastwood, we don't know. What we do know is 
maybe through the repeated experiments that these strangers are conducting on humans. Because that is, that is a main part, and you can get that out of the trailer. You can get that from the poster. They wanted to see what made us tick. One of them is about to go off. For the Rufusul character appears to have gained some kind of ability like what these strangers have. And the movie develops completely unlike you're expecting it to. Because it sets itself up in the first act, it looks like it's going to be a murder mystery, a mistaken identity, or something in that ballpark. And then the real heavy science fiction elements begin to kick in. I guarantee you, Christopher Nolan, and I haven't Googled this, 100% Christopher Nolan, when he made Inception, he was thinking of Dark City because the two movies, I think of Inception, if you watch it, when the worlds appear to be twisting and turning and right before our eyes, the landscapes are shifting and changing. Dark City did that first too. What appears to be a murder mystery with science fiction elements is not a murder mystery at all. It is a straightforward science fiction film, a world-building type of science fiction film, as was Blade Runner, as is The Matrix. None of this is an accident. It's not coincidental. But this movie, which is still very much, as I say, underseen by the average movie fan, was hugely influential. And there are movies that you don't expect to be influential, but when people are in the business, whether it's a, a big director and an extraordinary talent like a Christopher Nolan, or whether it's somebody working at the independent route, you think about it, if you and I, if we've seen certain movies, people in the business are always looking for inspiration. Jordan Peele, when he made Get Out, he drew inspiration from Marathon Man, he drew inspiration from Seconds, he drew inspiration from The Stepford Wife. He drew inspiration from the original Manchurian Candidate. This is where ideas can sometimes grow in one's brain. What Tarantino's talked about, he was a huge fan of various kind of shitty movies and TV shows. He took ideas and he made them great. Something he's always been able to consistently do. Dark City got good reviews. If you go to Rotten Tomatoes, it is certified fresh. It's, you know, in the 75 to 80% range. But the general sense is, it's way better than that. It is a movie that should be in the 90 percentile, if you ask me. Um, it didn't do that well at the box office. The marketing, which I thought was terrific with this trailer, which sure as fuck got me excited to see it, and then the strength of the early reviews. It barely made back its production and the career of Alex Proyas, so as I say, he did do iRobot and he's done other movies, but he got that gig because whoever was running that studio that produced the Will Smith based on, I guess, the Isaac Asimov novel, um, they must have been huge fans. Sometimes the business, like any business, is as simple as that. You find somebody, I really love your work, like literally, I love your work, and we think that you're the right person to direct this film, even though it's going to be a much bigger budget. Now, Dark City was not a small budget. The budget was estimated somewhere between 25 to 30 million. And so roll back the clock to, it was produced in 1997. We're talking, you know, 26, 27 plus years ago. So the budget would be more like 40 to 50 million if it were today. Not a cheap film. The sets are very believable. And it is one of those movies that there is a perfect blend 
of what you would call CGI and practical effects, model work, makeup, costuming, matte paintings, all of these kinds of things in the service of a really compelling and gripping story where you don't know what the fuck is going on. For huge chunks, you're not sure. You are as adrift as the characters of Emma, that's Jennifer Connelly's character, and John Murdoch. They don't know what the fuck is going on for huge chunks. Neither do we. And Keeper Sutherland's character, Dr. Schrieber, he probably knows exactly what's going on, but he's not saying anything. He seems to kind of be under the, under the thumb of the strangers. So I remember after seeing that movie, this was the kind of film where I couldn't wait to talk about it with everybody. Oh my God, you've got to see this movie. It was incredible. And my sister is also a big fan of the film and would certainly rank it in her top 10, perhaps even top five science fiction. As with me, it's in my top five. Clockwork Orange, Blade Runner, Dark City is in the top five somewhere. And then you get into a discussion of what constitutes science fiction, because technically Bird Box, which I didn't love, is science fiction. But then again, so is Close Encounters, so is War of the Worlds, so is The Clockwork Orange and Dark City and Blade Runner. And The Matrix, they're all science fiction. Hell, another Spielberg film, uh, Spielberg. Ready Player One, science fiction. Dark City, though, there are many people who have not seen it, don't really know of it. If they sit down to watch it, they will be dazzled. It is that kind of movie. It is an experience. It is a fully immersive experience. Hopefully you have the kind of setup with a little surround sound or a huge screen TV where you can allow yourself to be enveloped and kind of almost swallowed up in a good way by the film, as Blade Runner is. More so than The Matrix. Blade Runner is a movie, as with Dark City. I've argued, and I will always say this, you have to let the movie work on. If, you're, if your expectations are exciting thriller, it's not gonna work. That's why I thought Blade Runner sucked the first three times I saw it. I wanted it to be something it wasn't. Dark City is not an action film. It doesn't advertise itself as such. It is a science fiction film through and through. The world building, the immersive nature of the story, the way that it pulls you in and throws so many questions at you. Like Blade Runner, what does it mean to be human? What does make us tick? The strangers want to know. And maybe they find it out, maybe they don't. Maybe they messed with the wrong guy. Maybe they fuck with the wrong guy. And they're just going to have to get the fuck out. Don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out, alien creatures. Fuck off. I googled this. Um, Dark City is available for free on only one service, uh, Canopy. That's the app that is connected to, you get it on your TV. It's not just an app on the phone. But uh, you have to have a library card, as weird as that is, if you're not familiar with Canopy, with a K. All you need is a library card. You literally enter your library card number, and you can watch any movies in their library. It's fucking awesome. So I love the public library, just in general. I love the library. I grew up in libraries. Um, but you can see Dark City for free in either version, uh, the theatrical cut or the director's cut, if you have this, uh, this app and if you have a library card. But it's available to rent for $2 uh, on Amazon Prime and I think $3 on Apple Plus and Voodoo, some of the other platforms. 
I know I say this to you a lot, and I don't ever want to spend anyone else's money, even $2. It's not mine, it's yours. But if you are a science fiction fan, if you are a fan of The Matrix, if you're a fan of Blade Runner, if you're a fan of more recent science fiction, like War of the Worlds, hell, like Independence Day, watch Dark City, 1998, directed by Alex Preutz. Allow yourself to be immersed into the extraordinary world the filmmakers create, and the terrific performances by Rufus Sewell, Jennifer Connelly, and the late, great William Hurt. Go see it. And with that, We've reached the end of episode number 101, the first in a series called The Best Movie You Never Saw or You've Never Seen. Either way, they both work. It's either the best movie you've never seen, the best movie you never saw. But if you're checking out and have checked out episode 101 on the YouTube channel and haven't done so already, please click like, subscribe, comment, turn on those notifications. Or if you've caught up with this episode on the audio platforms such as Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music, or iHeartRadio, same general rule applies. Click like, subscribe, turn on those notifications. I'll be back with episode number 102 real, real soon. Thank you so much for joining me this evening.